Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. I don't know about you, but the last year has really tested my mental toughness, uh, my own mental strength, different habits and behaviors that used to work for me before stopped working, or I picked up new habits that weren't serving me. And in some cases, I feel like I got stronger or at least understood my values, what I really valued a little bit more. Of course, I had no idea really that any of this was happening or that this conversation about mental toughness has been going on for a very long time. And in fact, there is one woman who turned her own story of mental struggle into a huge success, serving hundreds of thousands of, I mean, it could be millions of people teaching them what exactly it means to be mentally strong. And today, she's here to share that story with you. Amy Morin is a psychotherapist and the international best-selling author of three books, beginning with 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do back in 2014. Those works have been translated into more than 40 languages with a fourth book on the way later this year, 13 Things Strong Kids Do. She's the host of the Mentally Strong People podcast and the editor-in-chief of Very Well mind. At home in the Florida Keys, she lives and works and podcasts from her sailboat. Welcome, Amy, to success. We are so excited well, to hear I your I am stories. excited to be here, Kendra. Thanks for having me. And, and just before we get into the first big question, um, you're on a boat. You come to us from a boat. I do. I live on a sailboat in the Florida Keys. So there you go. Mentally tough um, item number one right there. Live on a boat. <laughs> but Amy, I wanted to start uh, our conversation. We have a lot to talk about. And I feel like it's so timely as well with um, everything we've been through through 2020 and now coming into 2021. Uh, but I wanted to start here and ask you, it's a question that's been on my mind a lot lately. And I know that the success audience thinks about it a lot too. And that is, what is success to you? What is your definition? What does success mean to you? I would define it as knowing what your values are and having the courage to live according to those values and keeping your priorities in line with what you truly believe. Oh, I love I think that first part too, like knowing what your values are. I, I feel like we don't we don't often stop to even like we we go through our day and we can maybe there's hints of them here or there. We know when we're not aligned, but to really spend some time. So what are some of your values, Amy? So I try to keep my my health in line. And so that's mm -hmm. one of my top values is knowing that uh, you can make more money. You can't make necessarily more time to improve your health. So that's one of my top values. Another one, you know, my fr family and friends, if I've learned anything from my journey, it's to never 
take the friends and family you have in life for granted. Yeah. And to just try to make sure that I spend enough time helping people and feel like I'm living my, my purpose in life. Um, and then knowing that it's okay to have fun too. I'm one of those people that I could easily <laughs> invest all my time into, into working, especially now that I get to be an author. There's, it's not like I have a, a day that's over and then at five o'clock I go home and that's my, the end of my work day, I live on a sailboat. So and I work from my sailboat. So to know, okay, how do I make sure that I don't just work all the time, but incorporate enough fun into my life too, because in order for me to feel like I'm living a life worth living, I need to find that balance of uh, plenty of work, plenty of time helping other people, but also plenty of fun. You know what? I'm going to make a note of this because I, um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. The fun, I don't know why fun is so hard. So I want to hear as someone who I, you know, trust and respect and and know that you've done the work here. I want to don't let me leave here without talking to you about fun and okay. and how you're how, how you're like living that value. But before before we get to the fun, no, all of this is going to be this is part of the fun, right? No, this is work. This is definitely work, Amy. So I want to know how did you and I'm sure this is a story that you've told many times, but but for some of our listeners, they'll be hearing it for the very first time. How did you get into this work? How did you become an expert about being about mental toughness, essentially. Where did this all start for you? So I started my career as a therapist. I was sort of interested in the mind. I originally wanted to be a doctor, but then once we got into the dissecting cats, I thought, yeah, this really isn't. I'm not really interested in the body. Let's just take a twist and say, I know they lost me at the frogs. At the frogs, I was like, but that's like seventh grade. I'm like, nope, that's over. (laughs) Yeah, so I learned on my first day of college that wasn't for me and made the switch and I thought, you know, once I became a therapist, I thought, oh, this is great. I'll take all the information I learned from all my textbooks and I'm going to impart all this wisdom on people. I was 21, 22 years old mm-hmm. and thinking I had all this knowledge. But uh, it really began for me when my mom passed away about a year after I graduated. And it just reminded me, OK, well, I know all of these things I'm supposed to do. How do you go through grief? How do you uh, emerge from something stronger than before? But it was like my journey was personal then. It wasn't just about taking what I'd learned in a textbook. It was about saying, all right, you know this stuff, but how do you apply it? And I had started studying people that came into my therapy office. It was like I had a case study every day, constantly eight case studies every day of people coming in and sharing their stories. And I realized that some people you know, got stuck in life. They went through a hard time and they felt like, ah, because of this one thing, I can never have a good life again. Or they got bitter, they got angry, they felt like they were a victim of horrible circumstances. But then I met other people who went through incredibly painful things and they grew because of it. They said, you know, I went through this stuff, but I'm still hopeful, I'm helpful. Because of that, my, my heart is now open to recognizing other people's pain in a way that I can help them. And it's like it made them better people. And I thought, well, what's the difference between these two groups of people? And I realized pretty early on, it wasn't about what people did. Sometimes it was more about what they didn't do. People who didn't have certain bad habits emerged from painful experiences way better. And as a therapist, I've been taught, make sure you point out what people are doing well. And you say, hey, you're doing a great job at that, but make sure you keep doing that. And that's great. But then I realized at some point, like if I wanted to go see a physical trainer and they said to me, keep running on the treadmill, 
but they didn't tell me to quit eating the donuts that I was eating before I got there. I'd be really mad because I want the work on the treadmill to be effective. And so I started thinking, yeah, I'm doing people a disservice if I don't point out, hey, this one counterproductive habit you have is keeping you stuck. So I focused on that and I applied it to my own life too. And I'm glad that I did because three years to the day, my mom had passed away really suddenly and unexpectedly from a brain aneurysm. She'd been really healthy up until that point. Wow. But on the three-year anniversary of the day she died, my 26-year-old husband died of a heart attack. Obviously, when you're 26, you're not supposed to have a heart attack. He didn't have any known history of heart problems. And it was the the three-year anniversary. It was like this painful, cruel twist of fate. He and I were talking about how horrible that day was because it was the day that my mom had passed away, just hours before he passed away. And so I wake up the next day as a, I'm now a widow. I don't have my mom. And here I am. I'm supposed to be a therapist helping other people with their problems. And my heart's broken. I thought, I don't even know whether I can ever go to work again. I don't feel like I can help other people deal with their problems when my life is awful. But fortunately, you know, I had learned so much from, from those years of being a therapist. And I said, all right, here's how you apply this. I know it's painful. Our tendency when we go through tough times is to try to go around the pain. We dodge it. We escape it. We numb it. We do all of these things just to get over it as fast as we can. But I knew that grief is really the process by which we heal. You have to go through it to to get better. So it was painful. It was awful. I don't even really know how else to describe that period in my life other than to say it was really dark and just terrible. But I had hope that it could get better. And it took a long time. I was able to take a little bit of time off from work and I worked on myself in my spare time and life did get a little bit better. I sort of rebuilt who I was and figured out how do you be a 26-year-old widow and um, figured out what I still wanted to do in life. We've been foster parents with plans to adopt and I had to think, do I want to be a single foster mom? All sorts of things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, years later, I thought, you know, I was just, I had love once and that's that's it. I was lucky. I got married young, but... uh, few years down the road, I met somebody, got married, and life was pretty good. And then my father-in-law got diagnosed with terminal cancer shortly after we got married. And I thought, oh, I know what it's like to lose someone. I don't want to lose another loved one. This isn't fair. I don't want to go through it, but obviously didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote myself a letter called 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And it was just a list of those things that I'd learned. If you do these things, then you'll stay stuck in a place of pain. And I wanted to avoid them. And on my worst days, the last thing I wanted was a to-do list. But if I woke up to a to-don't-do don't list, mm. I thought, this is manageable. So uh, that's what I would do is I would just read over my don't-do list. And I thought, don't do anything else today. Just don't do these things and you'll get through today. And by then, my father-in-law had a couple of weeks left is what the doctors had told us at best. And, but I found that list helpful. So I thought, if it helps me, maybe it will help someone else. So yeah. I published it online and... Thought a few people might read it, but 50 million people read that article. And before I knew it, a literary agent called and said, you should write a book. And uh, I was all over the national news and international media was calling me because the article had blown up so much. But they kept saying, oh, you wrote this list because you're a therapist and you know it. Well, nobody knew the backstory. And so when I wrote the book, I was able to come out and say, well, yeah, I wrote the list, but it was really a letter to myself because I struggle with those 13 things as well. It's not that I'd mastered them. It's that... I struggle with them too. And this is what I found helpful in my own life. There's so much there. First of all, I, because that was one of my questions I had for you is like, why the, why the don't do, right? Like it seems like, oh, here's the list of things to do and, and why the don't do. Now, let me ask you that time between the passing of your 
mother and the passing of your young husband and then the time between the passing of your young husband and then your father-in-law um did you consider yourself in those times like were you like were you able to build up mental toughness like what had been your because I wonder is like once you're mentally once you have mental strength do you have it forever can you have setbacks like where were you on each of those like chunks of the of the journey in your in your own mental strength oh that's a good question so I guess before people will say oh were you just born with incredible mental strength the answer is all no no I was like an incredibly anxious kid. I had like growing up, I was the shy kid in the back of the classroom. I never said a word. Even in college, I was really shy. In high school, like my teachers used to read my paper for me because I was too shy to get up in front of like the 15 kids in my class and read my paper. Really? Oh, yeah. And I had, you know, always as a little kid, I had this like horrible separation anxiety from my mom, like terrified of like, what if something happened to my mom someday? So it was like my biggest fear came true. And I can remember after my mom passed away, I was like, well, at least I have my husband. Yeah. And it was like, again, like my world's biggest fear happened. And, but it was almost like once I got through, like, okay, the worst has happened to me. Well, bring it on. Like, what else have you got at this point? And so it made little things in life easier. Like now I can get on a stage and talk in front of 10,000 people because I think, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're not going to like my talk. That's not a problem in my life anymore. And right. And so, in you know, as I experienced each of those losses, I definitely at the time didn't feel mentally strong. I questioned uh, whether or not I had the strength to get through it. And, you know, they have that whole saying about God only gives you what you can handle. I swear, I kept saying he's overestimated, like there's no <laughs> way. Um, and I just, I couldn't imagine uh, sort of how to come out of this. And of course, I never imagined I'd write the article that it would go viral and that I'd now still be talking about it. I'm glad that it all unfolded like this, but I certainly never considered myself uh, to be a mentally strong person, even throughout all of that. I mean, my heart was broken and it was sort of the last thing on my mind that someday I'd be speaking about this years later. But um, I think mental strength is a lot like physical strength. You have to keep working on it if you want to stay strong, because sometimes people will say, well, I'm already strong enough. I don't need to work on that. Well, would you say that about your physical muscles? Like, well, I've got big biceps, so I never need to lift weights again. No, that wouldn't make sense. We, we accept that, that if you want to become physically strong and stay that way, you have to keep working on it. Mental strength is the same. You have to keep working on it. And as life changes and unfolds and we have highs and lows and natural ups and downs in life, sometimes it's easier to be mentally strong. Or sometimes people are like, yeah, I have no trouble in my personal life being mentally strong, but at work, it's a different story. Mm -hmm. Or I'm really mentally strong when it comes to my finances, but when it comes to eating, I really struggle. We all have things that tempt us. We all have areas in our lives. And all it takes sometimes is a change in relationships, a different job to bring out these things that you thought, I've never really struggled with this before, but in a certain situation, we can struggle with certain things that have just never really been a problem for us in other areas of our lives. Yeah. Throw in a pandemic or, you know, like, I, right. We'll get to that. We will, we will get to that. I want to ask you what, since we've mentioned it here and actually it's, this reminded me just this morning. So last, like over the summer I did, um, I was doing like a at home workout program because, well, I'll tell you, cause I had traveled 
and but I live in New York. So when you travel in New York at that time, you had to then quarantine for 14 days. So I couldn't like go for a run. I couldn't do anything. So I was doing this workout program at home and I gotten really like I'd gotten physically strong. And then, you know, summer ended, life got back to, well, whatever it was. And just the other day I did the same, one of the same workouts again, I was sore for six and a half days. I'm not going to say seven because I don't think it was a whole week. And I just said to my husband this morning, I'm like, it's sad. It is sad how I, I lost all of that physical strength that I built up and I haven't like, I'm all the way back at square one. So I know, so that was a really good comparison for me. I see that, but what is, I feel like we understand what physical strength is, right? Yeah. We know what that is. We know, we know what it looks like. It looks like a bicep. It looks like six packs. It looks like whatever it is. Six packs? Like who has multiple six packs? <laughs> I have a very high goals for my ab- abdominal area. Um, but what what is mental strength? Like what what's the definition? Like what what are we working towards? Yeah, so there's three parts to it. The way that you think, feel, and behave. Okay. So if we take thoughts... It's not about, you know, sometimes people think it's about always being super positive. That's definitely not it because you don't want to walk into a situation being like, I'm going to crush this test because then you won't study for it. Right. It's about being realistic and knowing that, you know, a little self-doubt doesn't have to hold you back or it's about being able to think rationally. So even when you feel anxious, you can say, all right, this is just my anxiety, but realistically, my chances of success are X, Y, and Z. It's about just managing your thoughts, knowing that you don't have to overthink everything, having a healthy mindset in general. The emotional aspect is knowing that you can tolerate uncomfortable emotions like anxiety or uh, Mm -hmm. it's okay to be sad sometimes, but also that you don't have to stay stuck in those places so that when you are sad and it's not serving you well, you can say, what do I do to boost my mood today? Or when you are so anxious that you can't function, that you can then figure out how do I manage this? How do I... Or how do I face my fears? If you have a fear of public speaking, you can say, well, I'm going to face that fear. But at the same time, if you're afraid of jumping off a bridge because a friend dares you to, you'll know when to listen to that and say, actually, my anxiety is trying to keep keep me safe today. And then the behavioral aspect of it is knowing how do you take positive action? So on the day when you don't don't feel like going for a run, but you know it's good for you, you push yourself to do it anyway, Mm -hmm. that you keep reaching to to uh, do something when you have a goal that you keep striving for it. Uh, But at the same time that, you know, like we said in the very beginning, you know what your values are and you're putting your time and your energy into the things that are truly important to you. So those are the three aspects of it. And a lot of people get mental strength confused with mental health. They think if I have depression, it's because I'm mentally weak or I'm not mentally strong enough because I struggle with anxiety So I really want to make that abundantly clear that you can still be mentally strong and have a mental health issue. Plenty of people, some of the strongest people I've ever met were struggling with depression or anxiety. And again, if we brought it back to the example of physical strength, we don't question that. You could go to the gym, you could lift weights, you still might get sick. You might catch COVID, for example. You might still develop diabetes. You might get high cholesterol, but it doesn't mean that you're not physically strong. It's because you're still making choices every day to build muscle. Mental strength's the same. It's all about the choices you make every day to build mental muscle. It can help prevent a lot of mental health problems, but it doesn't guarantee you won't ever get one. And just because you do get one doesn't mean that you have a weakness. Yeah. I had never, yeah, I had never considered um, the differentiation between the two, but I, I, I love all of the, like, I love those three parts. There's a lot of, um, 
you know, I we've mentioned this, like we're we're in a pandemic, it's still happening. Um, it has been a I would consider myself a pretty mentally strong person. I also feel like that sometimes then I can be when you consider yourself that way, like you can be caught off guard when you um when there's like a like a hiccup in that strength or when you notice it, when you identify uh, a point of weakness, is that, have you, have you experienced that? Cause I would imagine, you know, you know what to do. You go to the, you know, you, you behave in the, you do the behaviors, the emotions, et cetera, those three parts of mental health. Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? Um, yeah. So there's times when I'm just kind of going through life, things are really good. And like I said, sometimes it's just about, you encounter someone and maybe they remind you of someone else. Maybe they just kind of rub you the wrong way. Yes. And suddenly it brings out this side of you and you think, you know, in all areas of my life, I can control my temper yet at this one person I can't, or in all areas of my life, I feel like I'm doing okay. Yet my anxiety skyrockets in this one case. And I've personally, I have done it. I mean, there's an example recently that um, there's a particular person who causes my anxiety to skyrocket when I'm around this particular person. And I know I figured out exactly what it is about it now, but it took me a long time to get to that point. And to then think, here I am thinking I'm going through life and doing all this stuff. And then this one relationship that I have makes my anxiety skyrocket. And I have to figure out what is it? How do I manage it? Because if I am not aware of it, you know, I'm become like this person who's struggling with pretty much everything because my anxiety's so high. But yeah. So what do you, so, so let me add, like, what do you do? Cause I've had that. Um, and I know I want to talk about, cause you have, you have three books and one coming out. That's that right? right. Yeah. So we have um, the first book, which is 13 things mentally strong people don't do. Then there's one for women. There's one for parents. Is that yes. right? And then the kids is coming out. Exactly. Which we got to talk about all of those things. <laughs> like I walked into all, so we have to, we have to talk about, we have to talk about all of them, but like, what do you, I, I literally just had the same thing happen to me uh, just a couple of days ago. And I was like, just blindsided. I was like, Whoa, how does this person trigger, trigger something? I thought I had dealt. I don't even, I didn't even know I was dealing with something. So what, what do you do you go back through and read the 13 things like what do you do in those moments where you find you like you're walking along in your mental strength and all of a sudden there's just like a, a, a cavern that just appears out of nowhere and you got to get back up and walk again so the first thing is just becoming aware of it to recognize when you're having some sort of emotional response and it's a huge one it's to just recognize okay this is happening there's tons of research that just labeling your emotions goes a long way it helps you make more sense of it so if you can say i'm anxious i'm sad i'm scared i'm um whatever it is just put a name to it goes a long way and then sometimes we can connect those dots so to be able to say gosh this person reminds me of that third grade teacher that always picked on me yeah. or this person you know reminds me of that first uh, relationship i was in and that person and i you know had these heated blow ups and now i'm just triggered by that yeah. so if you can connect the dots that can be helpful but to then to know okay when you have that emotional reaction how are you responding to it are you yelling? Do you go vent to somebody else? Are you doing something that's not helpful? 
And what would be more helpful? Right, right. (laughs) I did not eat a cake, but I thought about it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Which has been a big struggle for a lot of people during lockdown. Yeah. To know how do I handle it currently and what else could I be doing? There's so many coping strategies. And of course, during the pandemic, most of those coping strategies were taken away from people. You couldn't go to the gym or you can't have coffee with a friend. So we've had to get creative, hopefully with learning. Okay, I can put together a puzzle. I can do yoga in my living room. Unfortunately, a lot of people have turned to food, they've turned to alcohol, they've turned to just being on social media 24-7 and have gotten into some unhealthy habits that although they might make you feel better for a minute, eating that whole cake might help you feel a little less sad or a little less lonely lonely for a minute. It'll make you feel much worse in the long run. And so it's so important for us to just recognize what are our current coping strategies is that serving you well? Online shopping's another one. Might make you feel really good for a few minutes to, to buy a bunch of stuff. But then when you're, the check comes in or the, the, um, the receipt. receipts and you figure out, gosh, I spent that much money on all this stuff I don't need. It doesn't feel so good anymore. See, so I haven't done that because of all the cake I was eating. And I know that none of the clothes are going to fit in. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Well, I think that's exactly what a lot of people have found or they think I'm I'm not going to work anymore. So I don't need work clothes. and I'm going to buy all this really cool clothes to wear at home. And uh, yeah. And so I think once we just figure out, all right, what are my coping skills? Are they helpful or hurtful? And what else could I try instead? And it's about trial and error and experimenting. Meditation Mm -hmm. works for some people, but it's not the solution for everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people find reading a book is helpful, but it's not going to solve everybody's problems. So I always encourage people experiment with different things to figure out what works for you at certain times. What calms you down when you're angry might not cheer you up when you're sad. So you may need to figure out what works for which emotion. Right. So for you, that the triggering um, that that person where you're like, oh, gosh, OK, here I am. It causes a lot of anxiety. What did you can you tell us? What did you do? So just sort of those things. So figuring out. All right. Here's Label here's it. why. Right. Here's why I'm anxious. Labeling it as anxiety. I was able to. Again, it took a while. I'm a therapist. I should know these things when you're <laughs> like, oh, this is why it took a while. In fact, it was a comment from my husband. And I went, Oh, that's why that person reminds me of so-and-so. And it's because it was like this experience from childhood that was basically replayed mm-hmm. and in a way that I didn't even recognize it. And he didn't know me as a little kid, but he knew the story. So he was able to put two and two together. And I was like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so once I realized that now I can be much more rational about it. When my anxiety skyrockets, when this um, individual and I have an interaction, I could feel like, all right, this is anxiety. It's not necessarily rational. What am I going to do about it? And for me, it's often just about, okay, I'm just going to distract myself for a minute. If I read a book, if I call somebody and talk about a completely different subject, uh, if I go do something fun, I get outside, I go for a walk, then I can be, my anxiety goes down and then I'm uh, rational enough to then think of how to respond to it. But when our emotions are really high, our logic goes down. Tons of research on that too. So when we're really angry, that's why we say things we don't mean. When we're really anxious, we think the worst case scenario is 100% bound to happen all the time. Yeah. So when you can just sort of rationalize, when you can just reduce your emotions a little bit, you can think much clearer. Yeah. Or even, I mean, that's even the act of just sleeping on it, just sleep on it. Except if you can't go to sleep, then that's right. like that, which ends up happening, which can end up happening too. So let me ask you for in this first, in your first book, which of the 13 things which is the one that keeps coming up for, for you? Um, I would say not number two, which is not giving away your power. 
I still find myself sometimes like, oh, this person drives me crazy or they don't let me do this or I have to do this because that person. And I'm like, no, Amy, you're in control of your life, of who you want to spend time with. You don't want to do this thing. Either don't do it or take ownership of it. Yeah. And because I, it's one of those things that for most of my life was something I just sort of did. I didn't really speak up. I didn't really set a lot of boundaries. And now I know uh, I have nobody to blame but myself. If I don't enjoy somebody's company, it's up to me to do something different. Or if I don't like the way somebody's treating me, walk away and the call. You don't have to put up with it. And if I choose to put up with it, that's my choice. It's not their fault. Isn't it? It's just such an interest. Like you're like, I know these things. I know these, which is actually a perfect segue into um, the second book, which is the 13 things mentally strong women don't do, which I feel like that um, giving of power is, and, and maybe it's something that men do as well, but, but I know I've, I feel like there is a, an entirely unique experience, both in power, but beyond that, to, to mental strength that, that is required of women. Can you, can you speak to, because I know we have a lot of women listening to this podcast as well, um, what inspired you to write that next version and how is it different? So I had a lot of uh, women in particular asking me, well, what does it look like to be a strong woman? And when you look back at, well, when we talk about mental toughness, who do we talk about? Usually it's a Navy SEAL. It's an elite mm. athlete of some yeah. sort. And who are they? They're normally men. And even when I look back at my first book, I think, oh, how many examples of men did I give versus women? Oh. I've never counted, but I'm quite sure the oh. men probably really outweigh right. the women. <laughs> <laughs> and so I really wanted to then write a book that said, hey, it's not that women have horrible habits that men don't uh, or anything like that. But there are if we look at this realistically, women face certain pressures, certain cultural expectations, gender norms, things that cause us to develop some bad habits mm. sort of because of the way that we were raised. And you know, at first I wasn't sold on it. I thought, Does, do women really need a different book? But I'll right. tell you the study that made me decide that I had to write this book. There's a study that found that when they asked five-year-old kids, who's brilliant? And they showed them lineups of men and women and said, point to the people who are brilliant. All the little boys picked men. All the little girls pointed to women. Mm. And then they asked them at age seven, point to somebody who's brilliant. And all the little boys and all the little girls point to men. And you think, well, what happens between the ages of five and seven? Well, we start school and all the teachers are talking about astronauts and political figures and all of these prominent people in history who are mostly men. And so even though we're telling little girls, you can be anything you want to be, clearly we're sending them a much different message through our behaviors and our actions. And so I wanted to write this book as a way to say, here's the science behind it. When we ask people to draw a picture of a leader, these are adults, even female and male adults, even women who identify as feminists. When we say draw a picture of a leader, like 90% of them draw a picture of a man or a male figure of some sort. And you think, mm -hmm. oh, what's wrong with this? Yeah. <laughs> and so I just wanted to write this book to say, hey, women, we experience certain things that men don't. And it tends to cause us to develop some habits that are probably keeping us stuck and holding us back. Here's how to break free of those things. I know. I, I just feel like, I, and I can feel those. I was recently um, on a Zoom call and it was me and several 
several men. And I was like, you know, like I, I am, I mean, I can do the stats. Like I have all the numbers that they have. I have all the quote unquote success that they have and then some. And yet I just found myself reverting to bad habits. So what are like imposter syndrome comes up a lot. So if, if, if someone hasn't read um, uh, the mentally strong women, what are a few of those, those things that mentally strong women don't do? So I talk a lot about comparisons that yes. mentally strong women don't, don't compare themselves. We know just from a scientific standpoint, we look at Instagram and we look at beautiful women and we think, oh, I could never be like her. When men look at other men, do you know that they think, oh, I could totally be like him someday? How do they? I I had a conversation with a, a, a guy friend of mine and he had had like a job interview, a phone interview. And he was like, I'm like, how did it go? He's like, well, I did great, but they didn't choose me. And he was like, what's wrong with them? And I was like, well, what? Like, why is he, my default would be, I must not have done well because they didn't choose me. I was shocked by that. Yeah. I find that to be fascinating. And so I wanted to write about, about those sorts of things. And another big one is that mentally strong women don't downplay their success. Mm. And we find that when we get a compliment, we don't just say, thank you. We tend to either give a compliment back like, no, I love your shoes. Or we do the whole, well, I bought these for $2.99. Yes. Not, <laughs> I got them on the clearance rack, so, oh. so they're not that good. Or we give the credit away. We're like, oh, it was my team that really did the work. And we just really struggle to acknowledge it. And when we look at things like um, LinkedIn, for example, when men have similar roles as women, they're like bragging about how awesome they are, how much experience they have. They're on the other end of the spectrum where they really sort of exaggerate their skills and their abilities. Women, however, really downplay them like, well, I only did that twice, so I don't really know how to do it. And it's not to say that women need to act more like men, but it's about being aware of our tendency sometimes to really just downplay it. Or when with something good, we get a promotion, we're like, well, it was just good luck. Or as you said before, imposter syndrome, we tend to overestimate other people's view of us. We think, well, she thinks I can do the job, but really I don't know what I'm doing. And we question ourselves and we Whenever something good happens to us, we sort of chalk it up to good luck. And then when something bad happens or we fail, we think it's because I'm not good enough. Yeah. So how do we stop like that? um, I mean, we can go back to the beginning of this part of the conversation about comparing. Like how, when you find yourself, like have you, I mean, even for you, Amy, when you have found yourself comparing yourself to someone online like how do we get rid of that bad habit like how do we stop doing that so the strategy is when you find yourself thinking that person's better than I am to just reframe it in your brain and there's science behind this that as long as you tell yourself that person it's not that that person's better than you it's that they either have knowledge or skills that you could learn from and just that slight reframe in the way that you look at it goes a long way toward helping you say okay this person isn't my competition This person is somebody that I can learn from. So maybe they become your mentor, even if you've never met them and you're not going to ever have contact with them. Just looking at, well, what is it that they're doing that that I think I would like to emulate in my own life? Is it somebody who works out a lot or somebody who has a lot of followers or they're successful in their business? 
what, what steps do they use and how could I learn from what I see them doing? If you just look at it as a learning opportunity and knowing that you have room for growth and you can learn from it and make changes in your own life makes a big switch rather than thinking that person's better and I'll never be that good. So what are some of the, um, is there one that you like that you yourself have had to work on that keeps coming up for you? One of the bad habits that is blocking you? Well, you know, all of them, uh, again, I come by, <laughs> I come by all of my books, honestly, but yeah. I, and I think this one, you just, if we went back to the compliment example about not downplaying my success, I was talking to somebody just the other day and, um, about this new thing I was doing. And I, and I said something like, well, you know, really downplayed my success. And she's all Amy, stop it. She's like, just enjoy. And I'm like, you're right here. I wrote, literally wrote the book on it, but yeah, yeah, look, here I am. And it's because of my hard work, my effort. And these people recognized that I deserve to be here. So it's okay to say, yeah, I'm really proud of this. Yeah. I, so I, um, I'm actually in the process of working on my next book. Um, and it's, it's all about the importance of the stories we tell ourselves. Uh, yeah. And as part of the, as part of the research, as part of the work, I took a group of people through the method of self-storytelling. And it was, it was fascinating. Um, it was fascinating watching people go through and like part of the exercises forcing them to go back and revisit some of their positive stories. And these are events that have happened in their life. Like these are, this is not fiction. They're not making it up. This isn't like affirmations. And it, it, it is like this thing happened and even retelling it to me, you know, I'm like, I'm taking notes. They're like, they're like struggling to believe it. And I've just found that that is like, that is one of the, that's one of the things is like, go back and believe your own stories of yeah. the success that you've had. Why? It's not fiction. You can't, you're not making it up. That's real. It's real. I love that you're going to write about that. I think our brains take so long to sort of catch up to where we are mm -hmm. and the things, the labels that we place on ourselves and the way that we see ourselves compared to the way other people see us can be so different. And Again, even though I'm a therapist, I've written these books. In my head, I grew up, I was a really chubby kid and I was super shy and I was kind of nerdy. So in my head, I'm like the fat, shy nerd. And now I'm like, you know, I'm not really not shy anymore. I give speeches. I, I got six pack abs a few years ago. So she had a lot of weight. I was a lot fatter when I was 12 <laughs> than I am now. And then, you know, I think yeah, I was still a little nerdy, but I'll embrace that. But just to get rid of the labels that we place on ourselves, the labels other people place on us, and to know that when we do succeed, don't look at it as just a fluke or good luck, but to just know, hey, we evolve, we change, we can be the people that we want to be. And your brain might not see it right away, but after a while, you can retrain your brain to see yourself differently. Exactly. Like, why do we care? Why do we give more power to the shy, chubby kid stories? Right. When those, when those expired, you know, 30 years ago, like, right. why, like, why don't, it's just, it's, um, it's fascinating. So we, we can talk, I hope you and I can talk more about that um, at some point. I feel like we, we're having this conversation January, 2021. I feel like we have been put through the mental strength gauntlet and I myself, so I'm in, I'm based in New York city. I have a 
and now a fourth grader and a third grader. They've been learning from my apartment for the past year. So I know the next, you know, the next two books in the series are mentally strong parents, mentally strong kids. Like, so that and like what has what what has the pandemic done to us like like what what can we i mean it feels like a it feels like a whole new level of of mental strength um so we're this many months in what what can what, what can we do amy help us like what have you seen through the pandemic and and mental toughness oh yeah you know again it took away so many of our coping strategies it added so many new stressors from parents being like now i have to be a a stay-at-home parent who's going to teach my kids remotely. My third grader is going to, yeah, last year I said, don't stare at your screen so long. And now I'll sit there and stare at the screen all day. And sort of all of our rules, all of our, everything we knew about life has gone out the window Mm -hmm. and all of our activities are taken away. Financial stress is up. So it's not a surprise that a study just came out that said our mental health is the worst it's been in 20 years, Mm -hmm. which isn't surprising, right? We haven't been getting out. We haven't been doing the things that improve our mental health. It's a lot tougher to do those certain things. Uh, But on the other hand, I feel like for some people, it's also opened the door to saying, well, what do I really value in life? If these certain things are gone, what what's important in my life? Or they've really had to say, how do I maintain a healthy relationship? For most of us, we were so busy mm-hmm. before all of this that we didn't spend a lot of time with family. We didn't spend a lot of time with friends. We took a lot of things for granted. And so my hope is that for a lot of people, it's given them a chance to uh, step back and think, well, what do I want life to be like once we... Um, sort of figure out what normal is going to look like in the future or once we're able to move forward what do I want my life to be like and for for people like you and I that did a lot of traveling to question do I want to be on the road at first I thought this is amazing I don't have to travel so much and then I thought yeah this is really weird I'm not traveling (laughs) I miss airports like I saw a picture of the Orlando airport like it popped up in my memories and I was like I never thought I would miss the Orlando airport (laughs) right right (laughs) yeah so my hope is and I know a lot of people have picked up new um, healthy habits like some people have said I never meditated before I'm trying these new apps that help me calm down or I've started journaling or I found joy in just putting together puzzles with my kids So my hope is that people will hold on to those and to also become aware of the tendencies, the things that we've picked up along the way that, okay, I've started eating too much. I've started resorting to using wine to calm down, whatever it is that we'll realize that and that we'll just really value relationships, in-person contact with people again, and to not take that for granted and to know that our Zoom meetings aren't a substitute for actually seeing people in person. I know. I was like, I'm like, I will never, cause you, before it'd be like, oh, I don't really want to go. I mean, right. I know I'm supposed to, but I'm just so tired or, oh yeah, we should get tickets to that show. But uh, we're just kind of, are you kidding me? Like right. I am going to do all of the things, see all of the shows. But I think actually what you said there is so, it's so important at the very be- beginning of our conversation, you define success as knowing what your values are and, and listening, listening to you talk about the pandemic and about our mental health and our mental strength um, that it has given us an opportunity to reevaluate our values. And, and you're right. Like I, I miss my parents 
I mean, I just miss my parents. They they live across the country. We had moved away. I was like, I don't need my parents, which fine. I don't need my parents every day, but I miss hugging my mom. Right. And, and so now I'm like, I'm going to plant. We're going to take this trip and we're going to take this trip. It's, it's, it's reworked how I experience the, how I see my values. Like it's, it's shifted my values. And I think the other thing in just listening to your response there is I just like with, just like with physical strength, it comes from repetition. And honestly, I don't really think I had to be mentally strong uh, in 2019 or 2018. I mean, I had to manage the busyness because it was so crazy busy, but now I've had to exercise all of these different, like not thinking that something is somebody else's fault or surrendering my power because I'm so much, I have so much more awareness of what my power is. So it has given us an opportunity to, to practice, but much like, you know, when I did that first leg workout after taking three months off, you get a little sore. Like, right, right. Sore. Okay. One last question. Cause I wanted to make sure we um, came back to this and that is your value of fun. Um, I still feel like even in pandemic, post-pandemic life, though a lot of my priorities and our priorities have shifted, I still sometimes struggle with valuing fun. And, And maybe even as someone who considers herself mentally strong, that fun is kind of a, like a, a lesser, like a, like a, like a, I don't know, like a minor point at the end of a long list of things to do. So what would you say uh, about the relationship between fun and mental strength? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> so I think for a lot of us, you know, life just becomes all about too much work and no play. And as we get older, we think I have to be responsible. We put it at the bottom of the list and we just never get to it. Or when we do, we almost feel guilty, like I'm not being yeah. productive yeah. or... Or we even forget what fun is. So you think, oh, going to my kid's soccer game, that's a good time. Maybe it is for some people, but I think for most people, it's not really like fun. Um, And so I think, first of all, just knowing what we value is fun. There's certain things people think are supposed to be fun. Like, I'm going to take a bubble bath, but it's not everybody's. No, I hate bubble baths. (laughs) Yes, I'm so glad you say that because I said that on my podcast and my producer's like, what kind of a person doesn't like a bubble bath? I was like, me. (laughs) Oh, you sit in like a vat of your own filth. I just, it's not my thing. (laughs) But I said too, but I said to know, okay, what, what is fun? And, and it's okay. And to give ourselves permission to know that you don't have, you know, you don't have to work all day, every day that you can't have fun or you don't always have to be productive. And of course, the side effect of having fun is that can spark creativity. It can actually make you more productive when you are working. But that shouldn't be the goal necessarily. It's okay <laughs> to treat yourself with knowing that if you thoroughly enjoy spending time with your friends, having dinner, going to a show, that you can do that. And you don't have to like work 110 hours to deserve one hour of fun. But yeah. it's okay to say, I'm going to go do this. Um, so and again, I could easily be one of those people that makes my life filled with so much work. And I have to remind myself, gee, Amy, what have you learned along the way? A lot of other people in my life would have loved to have had one more day to have fun. Mm. And when I can put it in perspective to say, it's okay, at the end of my life, uh, I want to make sure that I've made a difference and that I did work hard, but there's no glory in saying, and I never had fun. Nobody says, way to go. I really like that person because she never does anything enjoyable. 
<laughs> so to just try to keep that in perspective and give myself permission sometimes to just say, you know, I worked really hard in life to get to this point so that I, you know, I don't have to ask my parents to stay up late anymore. If I want to stay up late, I can, or if yeah. I want to yeah. so do something yeah. fun on a Tuesday afternoon and I can do that, just go do it. I don't need to say I only can do that if I did X amount of work or if I get up super early, work really hard, then I can earn an hour of fun. Yeah. I, well, and I think part of the challenge too, and I'm sure this is true for you, but when work is fun, like I like my work, like my work is fun. So technically, I guess in a way I'm having, like, this is fun. We're having fun, but it's a different kind of like just fun for fun's sake. Right. 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 And knowing that that there doesn't always have to be a purpose. Like if you go to a business lunch, maybe that's fun or you're networking and you're doing something and that can be enjoyable. There's nothing wrong with that. The fact that I get to do fun stuff and I get paid for it is amazing. But at the same time, I I need to have like a hobby or an interest that doesn't make money. You know, (laughs) it's okay to not be (laughs) when people say like, oh, what's your fun? Well, I, you know, I'm always like an entrepreneur at heart. So I want to build things and do things and sell things. And I have to remember that I don't always have to be doing that. I can be going out and doing other things. And if I go do something for four hours and uh, it has nothing to do with, with work or business, that that's okay. Yeah. Isn't it weird that we have to be reminded of that? It's Yes. <laughs> but I'm glad that you were here to deliver that reminder. Legos. I love building Lego sets like with my kids. Um, I need to go get a Lego set. I might do that. This that sounds fun. I know. It's so does sound fun. Yes. Well, Amy, I wanted to thank you for spending some time with us today. I just, I thought it was so important because, you know, success and um, mental strength go hand in hand. Like, I really don't think you can have one without the other, right? Like, success comes with mental strength and mental strength will lead to success. So um, I'm so happy that you were able to join us. Tell us where we can find you. Where can we get more of what you offer? So the best place is my website, which is amymorinlcsw.com. Or if you have more information, you want more info on mental strength, mental health, verywellmind.com. I'm the editor-in-chief over there and they have tons of resources and free information on uh, how to be the best version of yourself. Well, thank you so much. We are, I'm just so glad you were here to share your stories, Amy. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at kindrahall.com or on Instagram at kindrahall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time. Until next time.